Amen. Welcome. I'm glad you can join us tonight for a new book of the Bible we're going to study. We're in the book of Jeremiah for several months, uh, pretty much all of 2020 uh, on our midweek services. And uh, so we finished last week, 52 chapters of Jeremiah, and now we're going to go into the book of Lamentations. So you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Lamentations. So glad you can join us tonight for our online service. And uh, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks, December, we'll be in Lamentations, and then we'll come to Christmas Eve and then a New Year's Eve prophecy update. And uh, that's our schedule to finish out 2020. And uh, the Lord's going to minister to our hearts as we go through the book of Lamentations. A couple of quick announcements I'd like to make. We've entered into December. I trust and pray you had a great Thanksgiving. Now we're in the Christmas season, so a couple of things. Um, the scheduling during the week uh, has changed a little bit. There's no men's study or ladies' studies going on right now. After the first of the year, we'll reschedule those studies and see when we'll pick it up. A lot of it depends on what's going on with the, you know, COVID and all of that, and and when uh, we want to start up with that. But anyway, uh, also there is going to be young adults uh, for the next two Fridays, this Friday, and then the following on the 11th, so the 4th and the 11th at 7 o'clock, and then uh, they'll take a break for a little bit during the Christmas uh, season. And also, there is, on this Saturday, there is the high school worship night. They want to uh, invite you to come out, and it's going to be worship led by the high school youth worship team, 7 o'clock. There will not be normal youth that meets at 6 o'clock, and, uh, but there will be the high school youth worship team. So come out and be blessed by them leading you into some uh, worship songs. Also, there is starting this Sunday for the next three Sundays in December that the children's ministry, Angie, uh, has developed some Christmas lessons and some activities for them. So make sure that you register your kids for that on Sunday, 8, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. We're continuing to register for those services and they're going to have a, a lot of fun and it's going to be special for them. It's been so good seeing people come in, out for our in-person uh, services on Sunday morning. So continue to do that. You can register on our website, calvarychapelgreeley.org. And for those of you who continue to watch online, we welcome you. We're so glad that you join us on Sunday mornings for that as well. People are asking about Christmas Eve services. We're still trying to figure that all out, and we'll be letting you know, you know in plenty of time to plan for that. But we do want to do something for Christmas Eve, and uh, we'll let you know as soon as we kind of uh, get it figured out. And, and we're looking at a couple different options, and we'll um, get that information out to you as soon as we can. Again, with numbers spiking and everything, it's, it's a challenge to fill this sanctuary up three times and with kids and everything else because we have family services. So that's what we're trying to put into consideration. So uh, we'll keep praying, and we'll let you know as soon as we kind of get things figured out and We'll have more information coming up. But in the meantime, a new book. It always feels good when we finish a book of the Bible, especially as we went through Isaiah, 66 chapters, Jeremiah, 52 chapters. And it's uh, a study that a lot of Christians uh, you can talk to, and they've never gone through the book of Isaiah or the book of Jeremiah. And even though the messages that those prophets gave to the people were difficult, we learn so much from it, and it's so rich, and it's so beneficial. And I hope that you are tremendously blessed by going through Jeremiah. Continue to watch the online services as after Lamentation. When we get into January, we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is, is an incredible book. And you're going to see that. And Ezekiel, of course, was prophesying during that time uh, that... Uh, they were off into captivity, uh, and we know that there's 48 chapters in Ezekiel, so we'll spend probably most of next year in the book of Ezekiel in our midweek study. And, and remember that it was Jeremiah that was in Jerusalem during the time the captivity started in 605 B.C., and then Ezekiel was taken uh, into captivity in the, in the second deportation, 
in 597 BC. He's off in Babylon. He's prophesying. And we'll read his book and study his prophecies, amazing prophecies that we'll look at very carefully. And then it is Daniel. He was taken off in the first deportation in 605 BC when the captivity began that lasted 70 years. And he's in Babylon, of course, writing the book of Daniel uh, and the visions that he saw, four main visions that he had that he gives to us in chapter 7 through 12, in the beginning of chapter 12, and then final words. But uh, we'll be looking at all of that, and I know that uh, you're going to be tremendously blessed. But first, we're going to go through lamentations. So, Lord, we ask that you would just bless this time, even though this is a tough message that Jeremiah, and, and as he is lamenting, it really shows us what happens uh, to individuals, to groups, to a nation that sins and continues in sins and rebels against you. So, Lord, there's something here for us. And even though uh, some of the things as Jeremiah is lamenting, uh, Lord, we can see your uh, hope that is given to us, your compassion, your mercy that, can, that you desire to extend to us. So, Lord, bless this time as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the book of Lamentations, five chapters long, stuck between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And Lamentations, as I've already said, was written by Jeremiah the prophet. And as he's writing this book, he describes really a funeral for a city. The once proud Jerusalem is going to be reduced to rubble by the invading Babylonians. And as I've already mentioned to you, and as we had looked at very carefully and quite about talked about quite extensively in our Jeremiah study, is that the captivity began in 605 B.C., but it wasn't until the third and final assault that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian troops came into Jerusalem and destroyed Jerusalem and, and broke through the walls and destroyed Solomon's temple. Now, Jerusalem was a very amazing city at that time, ancient city. During the reign of Babylon, of course, Israel was experiencing its greatest peace, its greatest power, its greatest prosperity. Really, the coattails Solomon was enjoying of David, the greatest king that Israel ever had. And Solomon would build the first temple. And as you read 1 Kings and as you read 2 Chronicles, the accounts of the temple being built and, and all that Solomon did in his kingdom during his reign... It was quite magnificent. The, the temple was a magnificent building. Uh, large stones, ornate stones that were used, overlaid with gold. Uh, the gold in the temple, huge cherubims in the Holy of Holies uh, that extended, uh, I, I believe the, the wingspan was 35 feet, something like that. But you can read about all of that. And it was very glorious. And, and leaders came from all over the world to hear the, the wisdom of Solomon, to see the glory of the kingdom. Remember that it was the queen of Sheba that came to see Solomon. And she said to him, not even half of what uh, you know I've seen was told to me. She was so amazed. So it was very glorious. And that first temple was absolutely amazing. And all of a sudden, here it is, and that's about 970 B.C., and, and here we see that in 586 B.C., that after all that time of shortly after Solomon, really it began with Solomon, because he was burning incense to the, to the foreign gods as he married foreign wives. They had a thousand wives and concubines. And it was Rehoboam, his son, that took over. And after that, the ten northern tribes split uh, away from Truda, uh, Judah and Benjamin, the, the uh, tribes of Judah that made up the house of Judah. And we know that uh, it was uh, difficult, and the prophets came on the scene. Uh, and we know that Isaiah, that he came on during the year Uzziah uh, began to, uh, died. And, and we know that Jeremiah then comes about 60 years after Isaiah, telling them to turn away from their idol worship. 
Now, the house of Israel, as you know, went off into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The Babylonians ended up becoming the world power, just as Isaiah told Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. And as you read those chapters in the book of Isaiah, uh, as you read in chapters uh, 39, particularly of Isaiah, that Isaiah comes to Hezekiah, tells him that your descendants, that is, are going to go off into captivity, the choice men of Judah, and then the treasuries of the temple are going to be taken off into captivity as well. And that would happen about, uh, you know, 100 years after Isaiah gave that prophecy to Hezekiah. So that began in 605 B.C., and the city of Jerusalem laid in rubble. And we're going to see that Jeremiah here, he had ministered, as we know, for over 40 years, telling the people to repent and get right with God, but they wouldn't. And Jeremiah did not have the attitude of, I told you so, but he's weeping, he's lamenting, thus the name Lamentations, on what had happened. We know that Jeremiah, he was one that uh, had the ministry that he gave, he gave tough words but he had a tender heart. He was a man that really was a man of grief and sorrow concerning sin of the nation and what was taking place. Jesus, his ministry, we know from Isaiah, tells us that he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as Jeremiah is giving this word called the weeping prophet is because he had a tender heart. And listen, there's a very important lesson in that for you and for me because sometimes we have to give a tough message. Jeremiah gave the truth of God's word. He gave a message of if you continue in sin, it's going to be bad news. There's going to be consequences. There's going to be captivity. There's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. There's going to be death and devastation. Turn back to the Lord. And he gave that message weeping. Uh, He didn't give it uh, in a very arrogant tone or I told you so or with hatred or malice or contempt. He had a tender heart in giving a tough message. And sometimes you and I have to give a tough message to people. We have to tell people that what they're doing is sin. We have to tell them that if you reject the Lord, there's going to be consequences. And if you reject him to be your Lord and Savior, then there's eternal consequences. That's a tough message that we don't always want to give. But it is the truth of what God declares in his word. And as we give that tough message, we're to give it with a tender heart. Not with a pointy finger, not with a con- heart full of contempt and, and malice and uh, all of that. That's what the religious leaders had towards the people in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, as we see Jesus addressing that. They had contempt for the people. They put the people in bondage. They saw themselves as better than the people. Um, they didn't care for the people. And yet our Lord, a man of sorrow and grief, as the scripture says, full of compassion, would speak to the people. But yet he gave a tough message. And we've seen that going through Matthew's gospel so far. So the temple ended up being destroyed in 586 B.C. And as we ended the book of Jeremiah, we know that the date is given to us that it was during the fourth month, uh, the month of Av, on the ninth day. And that's very interesting because uh, the temple laid in rubble, And we know that it would be rebuilt. After the captivity, Cyrus that we talked about, uh, the the king of the Medes and Persians that took over Babylon, defeated Babylon, that he gave the decree that 70 years, after 70 years of captivity, that you can go back and you can rebuild the temple. So he was used of God, named by Isaiah in his prophecies in chapters 44 and 45, and they would come back and they would rebuild the temple. it was a very modest building when Zerubbabel, uh, the civil leader, and Joshua, the high priest, came back with just under 50,000 people. And uh, Jerusalem laid in rubble, and they rebuilt the temple, and it was very modest. And it tells us in the book of Ezra that the older men actually wept because they remembered the glory of Solomon's temple. But we do know that uh, as it would be rebuilt, that right before the birth of Jesus, that Herod the Great, called the Great because he was a great builder, 
began a remodeling of the second temple. And he ended up remodeling it to where it lasted for about 60 years, the, the remodeling project. And uh, it went on to where they used ornate stone, stones. It became one of the wonders of the world. A magnificent. He expanded the Temple Mount area, the courtyards. It was very, very magnificent. And we know that that temple ended up being destroyed just as Jesus said it would happen as it was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And here's what's interesting that we know that the Babylonians destroyed the first temple in the fourth month, that is the month of Av, on the ninth day. If you look it up historically, it is believed that the Romans in 70 AD, they broke through the city walls of Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple to where Jesus said not one stone would be left upon another. And they did it in the fourth month, that is the month of Av, on the ninth day the very same day. Absolutely amazing how that took place. We also know, rabbis will tell you, and just kind of an a interesting point, that they have taught for centuries that when the spies in the book of Numbers went into the promised land and then they came back after 40 days and, and they came back with all the fruit and, you know, carrying this fruit on poles between two of them. And, and they said, it's a great land, but it's full of giants and we can't go into the land. And it, it was the Lord that then said, because of your continual disobedience and unbelief, you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And they teach that that took place in the month of Av on the ninth day. Also, it is interesting that there's other days significant that pertains to Jewish history. But most recently, in 1942, it was in the month of Av, on the ninth day, that it was law that came out that Hitler made the decree to begin to put the Jews all into the Warsaw, you know, ghettos. And, and they would be placed in these uh, areas that were called ghettos, in the Warsaw ghettos. You can go to Jerusalem to the Holocaust Museum. And when you go through the Holocaust Museum, it's just absolutely amazing and really is overwhelming in so many ways. But you see the history where the conditions and the pictures and the videos of the Warsaw ghettos to where eventually they would take many of them and they would take them to the gas chambers and they would kill hundreds of thousands of Jews from that particular Warsaw ghetto. So kind of an interesting date in Jewish history. But Jeremiah here, is, uh, he is weeping. Um, and as we consider that, uh, another note just before we get started here is that in Caesarea Philippi, we're going to read in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus said to his disciples, Who do men say that I am? And they answered and said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, or some say that you're Jeremiah. And I find that interesting that they would say Jeremiah. Why would they say Jeremiah? Because I think that Jesus, he had a heart of compassion, a tender heart. Jeremiah did. Jeremiah didn't have any converts. We haven't read of anyone who really responded to his message. But he had a heart that was very similar to Jesus' heart. And so they said, some say that you're Jeremiah. And we know that as we go through this, that, that we're going to see that uh, in this chapter, chapters 1 and 2 has 22 verses. Uh, there's five uh, chapters, chapters 1 and 2, 22 verses. Chapters uh, 4 and 5 have 22 verses. But in the middle, chapter 3 has 66 verses. And chapter 3 is really the heart of the book. But we're going to learn from all five chapters. And in this chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, is the view of someone on the outside looking in, that is the city and the destruction. And verses 12 through 22 is the view of someone that is looking out. So with all of that said, uh, let's begin to read the book of Lamentations as we read that how lonely sits the city, verse 1 of chapter 1, that was full of people. How like a widow is she, who was great among the nations, the princess among the province 
have become a slave. So there's no comfort, and uh, that, that term, to comfort her, is a phrase that we'll see over and over again in this chapter. All the idols that the people trusted in could not help her. And we know that in Jeremiah's ministry during those years that began during the reign of Josiah, the last godly king, up until the time that Jerusalem was destroyed and then even afterwards, that he would tell the people, turn away from those idols because there's no comfort to be found in them. There's no help. There's no benefit. It's futile. That's what Isaiah would speak a lot to the people about as well. And I want to remind us, because I think that a lot of us that are listening here tonight, we need to be comforted. We need God's comfort, and our comfort comes from him. He is our comfort. It was Jesus that said to his disciples in that upper room, he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, uh, to come alongside of you, to come and live inside of you, as Paul would write, that here's the mystery, Christ dwells in your heart. But he is our comfort. We have the comfort that dwells in our hearts, the Holy Spirit of God. And if we need to be comforted, it's not going to be found in the idols of the world. It's not going to be found in the ways of the world. It's not going to be found in the philosophy of the world. It's going to be found in the Lord and personally knowing him and walking with him. And that was a message that the Lord was saying to his people during all these years that they were in rebellion and, and we refused to turn to him. I'm your comfort. I'm your help. I'm your hope. And verse 2, as we continue, the, and in verse 1 here, we see that she weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheek. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. So as he begins this, he's talking about how Jerusalem is afflicted. It was great among the nations. Uh, it was known uh, during its reign, particularly um, that it ended up uh, being desolate. And, and that's one of the things that happened. And we'll, we'll see that reiterate it once again, that what happened to Jerusalem would be a desolation. And Jeremiah's weeping over it. Uh, it's like a widow uh, and has become a slave. What has become of Jerusalem, this mighty city? You can't find comfort as we begin this. Uh, it, that word desolation was used by Jeremiah in his book. And he warned them, he said, that you guys are going to be desolate if you rebel against the Lord. And again, it reminds me as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Remember when he wept over Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long for you to, to gather unto me like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing to come. And now your city is left to you desolate. He would speak about how the city would be desolate because the Romans would come in later and destroy the city. And he said that you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he wanted the comfort. He didn't want the city to be destroyed. But they would be in captivity. The city would be desolate. It would be defeated. We continue in verse 3. Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All of her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. So not only you find no comfort, but you find no rest. And he is our rest. And it should kind of remind you, if you've been with us in our Matthew study, that it was Jesus at the end of chapter 11 that stood up on that hillside in Galilee. And he cried out, you know, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come learn of me, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come learn of me. So the Lord says, come to me personally. He is our comfort. He is our hope. He is our rest, to just have that rest in the Lord. And what does it mean to have rest? Because the Bible speaks about resting in him and the book of Hebrews. And we have that rest that his word is true, that we just have the assurance and the peace that, Lord, that you're with me, you're working in my life, and, and you are my hope, you are my comfort, you're my strength, you're everything that I need. And if you don't put your rest in him, then you're going to be restless. You're just going to be restless. 
because of the uncertainty of the world. And maybe this year has brought just that restlessness that is in your heart. He says to you, if you're weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest. So you go to him. You learn of him. He said, learn of me. You'll have rest for your souls. And you yoke yourself with him, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Those three things are so important for us to have that rest in the Lord, to go to him personally every single day for us as Christians. Go to him and learn of him, of his love, his promises, uh, his encouragement, his truth. Um, As we do, then we yoke ourselves with him as we just walk with him and enjoy him in our lives and you'll have rest in your soul. They were looking for rest. They couldn't find it. But we continue in verse 4. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feast. All her gates are desolate. That word desolate again. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted and she's in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy and from the daughter of Zion all her splendor has departed her princes have become like deer that no one uh, that finds no pasture that is that flee without strength before the pursuer so the consequences of her sin captivity and bondage uh, Paul would write in the book of Romans in chapter 6 he said should we continue in sin that grace abounds he says sure certainly not we identify with Christ And he would go on to say that knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You see, sin will put you into slavery. Sin will put you into bondage. And so Paul writes, because as he writes about the doctrine of justification in chapters 3, 4, and 5 of the book of Romans, then he begins to write about uh, sanctification in chapters 6, 7, and 8. And chapter 6, he says, we're dead to sin. Because people will come along and say, well, what do you mean? We're just justified freely by our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to work for it. And, and they would say, does that mean we can just go out in this thing called grace, unmerited favor of God? Just go out and, do, and live any way that we want? And Paul says, no. Why should we continue in sin? You know, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He said, no, we're dead to sin. So chapter 6 of Romans, we're dead to sin. Chapter 7, we're dead to the law. And then chapter 8, that we're alive unto God as we walk in the Spirit. And to know this, that we are to yield ourselves over as an instrument of righteousness, reckon it to be so, Paul says, and know that we are no longer to be slaves of sin. You know, we've been crucified with him. We identify with him. We walk with him. And we know that sin will just bring us into bondage and bring us into captivity. Um, And, of course, uh, anyone who continues to rebel against the Lord, that there's going to be consequences. And we don't have to experience those consequences. We have forgiveness. But the thing is, we are to walk in his ways And to know that Christ has set you free. He has set you free from the penalty of sin, but also he desires to set you free from the bondage of sin. And if there is anything that the Lord is speaking to you about that you need to turn away from or repent from, any sin or carnality, it's because he wants the very best for you. He doesn't want you to be in bondage or captivity. He wants to set you free from that because it will will just begin to to have consequences that you'll experience in sin and sadness and sorrow and captivity. So the roads to Zion, as we read, were empty, the roads which people took to Jerusalem for the feast. And, and it's picturing, as we continue here, of a, of a city that was at one time full of the glory of God, this full of desolation. In verse 7, the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all of her pleasant things that she had in the days of old, when her people fell into the hand of the enemy, with no one to help her. The adversary saw her and mocked at her downfall. So there was this physical trauma and mental anguish. And sometimes, um, you know, it takes the loss of something to make a person 
just aware and realize the blessings of what they had. May we never take for granted the blessings that the Lord has given to us. And I think that maybe perhaps this year has helped us realize some things, maybe in some way, to some degree, that the blessings that I had, Lord, I don't want to ever take it for granted. One of those blessings for me is is here, this church and being able to gather and then be able to, to worship and be with you know, the church family, for us to have fellowship, that has been restricted. That has been difficult and, and all of that. I can't wait till this COVID stuff is all over where we don't have to worry about it. But we never want to take those things for granted, the blessings of the Lord. And they here, they, they realize that we're in the days of our affliction. We're just kind of roaming. And, and here people are mocking our downfall. The adversaries see it uh, as we continue on and look at this. Um, also, the other point that I want to make with that is it says that um, when people fell into the hands of the enemy, no one helped her. The adversary saw it and mocked at her downfall. Listen, uh, we as Christians, uh, when, as we see here, that the, the, the nations would mock Judah when she fell. And know that if you fall into sin, that the world will look at you not with compassion. They're waiting for you to fall so they can mock They're waiting for you to fall so they can say, see, you Christians are a bunch of fakes. And unfortunately, Christians are not perfect, and we do fall into sin. It was David, when he sinned with Bathsheba, that Nathan the prophet came to him and confronted him with his sin. And and David said, oh, I have sinned. And Nathan said that you're forgiven, David, but you've caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name. And I think that really broke David's heart because he had a heart after God. When he heard that, that caused the enemies of God to blaspheme his name because of my sin and my example. But here's the thing. We don't expect, you know, the compassion and the grace from the world. The world's going to come after us. And especially when you watch the news or on social media. But what really grieves me as Christians that we are to, when a brother falls, you know, or a sister, a believer, that Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And what I have seen from Christians sometimes through my years of ministry and being a Christian is somebody falls into sin, just how harsh and, and um, they are. And really judgmental and difficult and just waiting to pounce on uh, somebody who's fallen into sin. When the Bible says that we are to restore in a spirit of meekness, if a King James, I believe it says that, not the spirit of meanness. And sometimes what Christians will plaster all over social media and stuff, I think that is so hard. That is so harsh. Listen, we need to be ones that we take heed to the word of God to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Yes, we need to rebuke and bring correction. But we don't want to tear people down. We don't want to plaster it all over social media and this person this and they're all of that. And, and we need to be ones. I, I've heard the saying that Christians are the only ones that shoot their own wounded. And I hope it isn't that way. That is love that covers a multitude of sins. You know what that means? It means that I'm going to love you even though that, that what you've done is perhaps hurt me or uh, was wrong or whatever. We forgive and we are to forgive. But I'm going to continue to love you with the love of the Lord. Because all of us, we make mistakes. And I've seen people say things that they realize, you know, it was wrong or they did something that, that was wrong. They ask for forgiveness and, and all of a sudden all this stuff comes out and unforgiveness and hardness of heart and all of this. We need to really seek the Lord in those times. How we can restore when one is overtaken by trespass in a spirit of gentleness. To, to love, to forgive. Doesn't mean that we continue to be a doormat to be walked on or 
or any of those things. It, it means that we desire the very best for that relationship if there's opportunity for there to be peace and restoration and forgiveness. But as we move on in verse 8, Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore she has become vile. All who honor her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, she sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse, um, collapse was awesome, in other words. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. She didn't consider her destiny. She did not count the cost of her sin. Now, Proverbs, when you read the book of Proverbs, of course, it talks a lot about that difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. And the fool versus the wise one. And the fool, you read in Proverbs, there's many verses that does not consider you know, the consequences, the fool that does not think about what's going to happen to them if they consider or continue in their foolish ways. So it's true today. Um, some people, they get so involved in sin, they're in the moment, and we can do that. We get caught up in the moment. We want something now. We want to please our flesh right now, but don't consider the consequences of what's going to happen. And we need to stop and we need to think and be the wise man that says, listen, this is not good. This is not a good road for me to be on because there's, there's you know, traps, there's uh, difficult, uh, there is a road that leads to destruction and death and consequences and repercussions and all of that. I don't want to go down that road to think of those things. But God's ways are good ways and there's going to be blessing and fruit that's going to abound as we do that. As we walk in his ways. In verse 10, the adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. For as she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly, all her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. So the Babylonians not only destroyed the temple and the city, the people were starving. They didn't have anything. Everything that they had, they said, I'm going to give my valuables, verse 11, um, to hunt for food. Uh, those things that I had were a blessing, just so I can have a piece of bread. And then in verse 12, it is nothing to you, all you who pass by. Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above he has sent fire into my bones, and it overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions were bound, and they were woven together by his hands and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those whom I am not able to withstand. Verse 15, the Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled us in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. So the virgin daughter of Judah, when you read that, is equivalent to Jerusalem. That's what it's speaking of. So now in verses 12 to the end of the chapter, we see that Jeremiah, instead of looking inside the city, of Jerusalem, um, he's looking outside and looking in from that viewpoint. Um, and uh, we know that uh, he is saying that he, as he's um, inside the city, he, he's, he's looking at from inside. So the first 11 chapters, let me correct that, is looking uh, outside looking in. Now he's looking inside. He sees the hunger. He sees the children that are starving. Verse 16 here that he says, because uh, the children are desolate, because the enemy prevailed. Uh, one of the things that we need to remember is that sin affects others. It affects others. It's not just, oh, nobody's going to know or nobody's going to find out. Um, but as now he's looking Inside the city, at the view, he sees personally, close up, what sin has done in the rebellion. And it affected the children. So parents, we need to remember that if we get involved in sin. That we need to remember as 
as maybe the deception we can think or the enemy deceives us into thinking no one's going to find out. You're not going to hurt anyone. I've had people tell me that. That, you know, I know I'm involved in this sin or whatever the case may be, but I'm not hurting anyone. And it's just uh, no one's going to know. No one's going to find out. uh, um, No one's going to get hurt. And it's a deception. So here he's talking about as he's in the city, look at what's happened. The children are desolate. These things I weep, the weeping prophet, my eyes overflow with water because the comforter who should restore my life. He feels the Lord far from him. Verse 18, the Lord is righteous, for I rebelled against his commandment. Hear now, all peoples, and behold my sorrows. My virgins and my young men have gone into captivity. I called for my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and my elders breathed their last in the city while they sought food to restore their life. So we see here that Jeremiah's using so poetic language here. He says, my lovers, they deceived me. They breathed their last, the priests and my elders. Um, he, he talks about his sorrow. As he's speaking here, that here he is saying that judgment has come. And judgment has come. And the Lord is righteous. And we need to remember that righteous and true are your judgments, O Lord. And as I've said this before, that there's going to be the day when we will all be together in heaven right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we will be saying righteous and true are your judgments. Because God does judge sin. The good news for you and for me is Jesus took the judgment for us on Calvary's cross. And that's why he came. And that's why we need him. The greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. To turn to Jesus who made atonement for our sin and took the judgment that we deserve upon himself as he experienced the wrath of the Father, experiencing death, suffering. He died in place of us and for us. And he was one that loved us so much that he went through the sufferings of the cross for the joy that was set before him. And the joy is you because he loves you and me so much. So Jeremiah continues to weep over her destruction and God's judgment. And we continue in, as we finish the chapter here, see, O Lord, I am in distress. My soul is troubled. My heart is overturned within me. For I have been very rebellious. Outside the sword bereaves at home is like death. They have heard that I sigh, but no one comforts me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced that they may become like me. And then as we finish the chapter, let all their wickedness come before you and do to them as you have done to me. For all my transgressions, for my sighs are many and my heart is faint. One of the things that we need to remember is that that our heart will faint. Our heart will faint if we're involved in sin. The people were dying by the sword and by starvation. You remember that Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, that he took the leaders and he went to the, to the gate that faced the, the valley of Gehenna. And he took a pot and he took it and he broke it. And it was an illustration of that if you don't turn away from from your sin, that you're going to be broken. You're going to be broken. And death and devastation like you've never seen before. It is a tough message. And this book, as we read it, it, it seems like a bummer, but it teaches us such a valuable lesson. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And a life abundantly is a life that is a life of blessing and goodness because we're following after the Lord. Uh, Sometimes I hear people say, yeah, Jesus said he came to give you life and life abundantly so we get all this stuff, you know, the health, wealth people. But he's talking about I want to give you abundant life of peace and joy. To be free, not to be in bondage to the world, not experience the consequences of sin or be slave to sin. And we can be so thankful for that. And this book tells us what happens if we continue in carnality or sin. That we are to walk in his ways, not to follow our own 
dictates of our hearts, but to follow him and to, again, just experience his blessings as we walk closely with him. So as we will continue, we're going to stop here. We'll continue in chapters 2 and go into chapter 3. We'll see that, you know, the, the consequences and repercussion of a city that refused. And God's anger was slow to anger. And uh, for many, many years, uh, from the time even before Isaiah, the prophets came on the scene. And for hundreds of years telling them to return, but they didn't. And so judgment came and the consequences of it. So next time we'll pick it up there in chapter 2. But Lord, we thank you for the beginning of this book, that Lamentations. It it seems like it's kind of a, a book of sorrow and grief, certainly, but powerful lessons here. You're our comfort. You're our hope. You're our abundant life. Lord, you're our rest. You're everything that we need. And it reminds me of what we even talked about on Sunday, the parable of the sower. That may we take your word, your promises, your truth, and plant it deep within our hearts that it may bear fruit. We don't want to be barren spiritually. We don't want to be full of desolation. But Lord, we want to trust you in what you say to us. So I thank you for these words. I thank you for this book that we can learn. But also, during this time, as Jeremiah is going to continue talking about the city and where do I find comfort, we know that there is a message of hope in this book as well. Our hope is in you, the coming of Jesus. That's a message that we can share at this Christmas time with friends and families and others, that Jesus Christ came, the Savior of the world, to come, to die for our sins. And Lord, I thank you that we have a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for that message that we can give to others. And not only did he come to give us life, but life abundantly. Bless everyone here now as we go our way. Bless the rest of our week. We're looking forward to meeting on Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday. Have a great rest of the week.